Well, this morning's a little different, as you heard from Scott. Um, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So lots of churches, uh, at least around America, I don't know if it happens where else it happens, but certainly in America, a lot of churches are gathering today to remember our persecuted brothers and sisters all across the world, to uh, worship in solidarity with them, to pray for them, to be encouraged by them. So uh, I want to start today... Uh, just by reminding us of the reality of persecution, I'm going to share today a little bit from First John. We're going to um, hear from someone on the field about persecution. But I just want to remind us today of the reality of persecution, um, which is the fact that um, there's a lot of Christians who woke up this morning to a very different reality than we have here. Um, they woke up and they didn't you know, drive a car to a public space where they come and worship with amplified sound, but um, they wake up to a very different reality. And um, they do church differently, but their love for Jesus is, is beautiful. Um, but we're going to be thinking about them today. I want to share uh, an image with you uh, and a few statistics with you today. Um, this is produced by Open Doors. It's called the World Watch List. And it, it uh, lists in terms of the, the level of persecution uh, countries in the world. This is specifically Christian persecution. So there's other, I realize there's other forms of, you might see other countries like, I thought that country is pretty bad, but this is explicitly Christian persecution. Um, Christians today continue to be the most persecuted religious group in the world. Um, According to the U.S. Department of State, uh, Christians in more than 60 countries face persecution from their governments or surrounding neighbors simply because of their belief in Jesus Christ. 250 million Christians, 250 million, are facing some form of persecution on a regular basis, whether that is social pressure, verbal harassment, discrimination in education or employment, being ostracized by their own families, losing their jobs, losing their homes, being forced out of their villages, beaten, imprisoned, and some who lose their lives. And yet we know that, that God is at work all around the world um, through the persecuted church, that persecution does not stop God's work. And in fact, sometimes it has the very opposite effect, that God works powerfully at refining his church and building his church uh, in the midst of trials and persecution. And so today, we're going to consider these brothers and sisters around the world. We want to express our solidarity with them. Uh, the Apostle Paul reminds us that that. The church is one body, the body of Christ. He puts it this way. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And then he says this. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so today we want to do our small share of suffering with the part of the body that suffers. And uh, doing this in camaraderie with them. We're going to obviously pray for them today. That's one of the best ways in this moment that we can love them is by lifting up prayers on their behalf to our God, to our God and their God. And hopefully we'll also be inspired by their examples. And as we kind of sit with the reality of their lives today, we walk out into our context more inspired to live how God would want us to live here in Orange County, whatever that might be for each one of us. So um, there's two events that you can participate. Um, I'll tell you what.
next week, um, we are going to be hosting the International Day of Prayer. So next Sunday at 4 p.m. in this space, we're going to be hosting a gathering of Costa Mesa pastors uh, to have an extended time of prayer for the persecuted church. And Trellis, many of you are aware of Trellis is a nonprofit organization that is bringing the uh, Orange County, especially Costa Mesa churches together. They're organizing it, but we're hosting it. So I'll be here. Um, many of us will be here. We'd love for you to be here. And this is a, it's a great event. I've been going for the last couple of years. Um, we will be praying. We will be hearing stories on the field. It's very creative. It's, it's um, I don't know about you. Some people like on a Friday, a Sunday afternoon, a prayer gathering is not what you have in mind. Um, it's very inspiring. It's creative. It's, it's a great uh, time spent with other churches around us. So we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. And then today, of course, uh, we're, we're dedicating our time today. And what we're going to do this morning, uh, we're going to focus our time on one particular part of the world. If you look at uh, India, just below India, you have that little blue island of Sri Lanka. And we're going to be focusing our time on that little island um, but because we have with us um, Pastor Adrian Divisor and his wife Ophelia who have come from Sri Lanka. I'll sh- share more about them in a second. But Sri Lanka's had a very interesting past year with persecution. Those of you that follow the news closely will know that. Um, there are some Easter bombings that you'll hear more about. So we thought it'd be good to hear from one particular part of the world, especially to hear from Pastor Adrian. And he's here every fall, and uh, we just love him being a part of our uh, community. So we'll hear from him. But first, um, you get to hear from me for about 10 minutes. And what I thought I would do is I'm going to interview Adrian in a couple minutes, but I thought I would set that in the context of a, of a biblical framework to understand this. And we've been in uh, John's first letter, First John. So I thought I'd keep us in First John. And I'm going to share for about 10 minutes. I want to look at three specific verses in 1 John, because John has some things to say about our relationship with the world, about persecution, what it means to to be in this world, but not of it. And so I want to set the context by just reminding us of his perspective, and then I'm going to invite Adrian up, and we'll hear some stories from what's going on in another part of the world. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, verse 13. If you don't, that's okay. I'm going to put the verses on the screen. All I have is three verses to walk through over the next 10 minutes, one from chapter 3, one from chapter 4, and one from chapter 5. And what John does in these three short verses is he gives us perspective on on our, our relationship with the world, but not just perspective, but he gives us encouragement. He gives us a reason to be bold in our relationship with the world. So I want to walk through these three verses together, and then I'll invite Adrian up to share with us. All right, so here's the first one. This comes right after the passage that we read last week. In the, in the next section, these, these, this verse pops up. And it's a perspective verse. John says this, Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. It's perspective. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. And, and when John uses that word world, what he means by that specifically is, is human society that is organized independently of God, okay? Human society building itself in, in independence and then often in opposition to God and his values. And we learned last week in John 5, John says that, that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And we talked about this idea that there has been a spell cast on this world since the fall, since Adam and Eve chose independence, And now the bulk of human society is under this spell, whether it knows it or not. In fact, a spell really isn't a spell if you know it's a spell, right? 
and, and so it's living in opposition to God and his values. And so as Christians, we have an interesting relationship with the world, and, and there's different things that the world tries to do. On the one hand, we can be tempted uh, into the world, right? The world offers us riches and, and pleasures and comforts that we can be tempted towards. So we are tempted towards the world. But if we resist those temptations, on the other hand, we can experience the world's intimidation. When we don't belong, the world can threaten and intimidate. And that's what many Christians experience around the world. So there's this, this very interesting relationship that we have with the world. And John is just reminding us, um, don't be surprised if, uh, if the world hates you. And I, for me, I read that this week, and it just kind of like caught me off guard because I'm surprised if the world doesn't like me. I'm like, I'm a, I'm a likable guy, right? Like, what's, what's not to like? You know, I'm an Enneagram 9. I mean, I get along with everybody. Like, um, right? And it's easy to live where we live thinking that I would be, I would be surprised if, if the world disapproved of me. And, and John is just echoing Jesus' words uh, in the upper room. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He's like, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And I was thinking, in America, isn't that our temptation to want desperately to belong to the world? Like we so badly want to belong and we want to fit in. We want to enjoy all that the world offers. And so we play this dance in America where we want God and we want the world too. And we, we kind of want to have it all. And the scriptures always say like, yeah, that's the, you can't have it that way. And Jesus is saying, hey, you don't belong anymore. Um, you shouldn't belong. Don't, see, don't be surprised if you don't belong. And so today... We want to honor and pray for Christians who know very well that they don't belong and are not trying to belong to the world. They've been pulled out of a system into what Jesus has given them. And so they are not at all surprised <laughs> when the world dislikes them. I mean, that, they, they're like, that, is, that comes with the territory. That's par for the course. I was thinking of this this week. There are some Christians who... By definition, to become a Christian is to no longer belong because they were born into families, right, of different philosophical or faith traditions. And so the very act of becoming a Christian means that they are disowned. They no longer belong, and they know that. And that's the perspective that John has. Don't, don't be surprised. You don't belong. You shouldn't belong. You shouldn't try to belong. But he doesn't leave with just, leave with just with perspective. He, he also gives us encouragement. So I want you to turn now to chapter 4. He's, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, something he says there uh, that is quite encouraging, I think. Here's what he says. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Amen. He calls them dear children. He says, you are of God. You are born of God. And last week, we talked about the miracle of new birth. And that's what it is. It is a miracle. I said last week, coming to church is not a miracle. Being born again is a miracle. Being born from the Spirit, when the Spirit of God, like the wind does, blows into somebody's life, and does a miraculous work in bringing them to faith, breaks the spell of the world and its allure and all of that, and, and brings a person to faith 
in God and gives them new spiritual life through his Holy Spirit, his own powerful presence dwelling within them. It is a miracle. And John's reminding them, that miracle happened in you. You are God's kids now. You don't belong to the world. You are born of God. And with that, he says, remember this, the one who is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world, which is the evil one. And the evil one is great, John says. The whole world is under his spell. He's powerful. But the one who is in you is infinitely more powerful. He's the creator of all things, maker of heaven and earth. Nothing is too hard for him, and he dwells inside of you. The spirit of the one who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And so you have everything within yourself, meaning the the Holy Spirit who is in you. You have what you need to enter into this world. It is greater what is in you than what is out there in the world. So go out with that confidence. And there's, you know, again, believers today who who have to wake up every day and trust that this is true, right? Because they, they walk into a day that is very intimidating and forces that are very powerful. And so they have to cling to this. The one in me is more powerful. He will see me through according to his plan for me. So there's an encouragement and a call to be, I think, even bold. And with that, let me give you the last verse. This is chapter five, verse four. Probably my favorite one. Here's what he says. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Um, The word overcome in the Greek is the Greek word that you'll be familiar with. It's the Greek word Nike. You may have heard that word before in your life. Um, and, And John actually uses it three times in this passage. It literally reads this way. Everyone born of God Nikes the world. This is the Nike that has Nikeed the world our faith, okay? To overcome and overcome that word, that's John's favorite word to use to talk about our relationship with the world. He uses it a lot in Revelation that he wrote in a context of persecution that believers overcome. And I just want to help us understand what John means by to overcome the world. What he does not mean by overcome is um, that we now belong to the world, right? That we figure out a way to fit in with the world, That is not what it means to overcome. Uh, Nor does he mean that overcoming is about withdrawing from the world, uh, fleeing from the world, escaping the world, getting away from the world, cloistering ourselves out of the world. That is not what overcoming is. Nor is it to conquer the world, to to beat the world, to to use the world's own tools of power and, and to beat the world at its own game and destroy the world. That is not what overcoming means. What overcoming means, if you read it through John's writings, simply this, overcoming the world simply means that we remain faithful to God no matter what the world throws our way. That's how you overcome. We remain faithful to God in the midst of the temptations of the world, and we remain faithful in the midst of the threats and the intimidation of the world. We live in such a way that shows that God is our God, and the world cannot possibly change that. Okay? That's what overcoming in John's writings means. And how do we overcome? What is the victory? He says the victory is what? Our faith. How do we overcome? We overcome by faith. Well, what is faith? Faith is saying, God, I trust you. And I trust you no matter what. I trust you with my future. 
trust you with my family. I trust you with my health. I trust you with my plans. I trust you. And, and not only just I trust you, I think, but the kind of faith John is talking about is, and I love you. I treasure you. In fact, I treasure you more than anything else in this world. Your love is better than life. There is nothing that compares to you. I trust you and I love you. I think that's what biblical faith is. And when you can say that, I trust you and I love you no matter what. When you can say that, then the, the power of the world over you has been broken. Right? And when you can, you can say, you know, world, you can, you can threaten to take things away from me. You, you can't take the thing that I love most. Um, you, can threat, you can, you know, promise to offer me things that seem great. What can you possibly offer that is better than what I already have? And so the power, your spell is broken. God is my treasure, and I, and I trust him. And that's what we see in the men and women of Scripture. That's what we see in, in the world around us, is there's men and women out there who are living that kind of faith. And I just want to end my comments by reminding us of some of the, the men and women of, of faith of the past. I was thinking of uh, a couple of biblical stories. Um, I was thinking of the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these three guys who are living in, the, in exile in Babylon under great persecution. And King Nebuchadnezzar, who, you know, they erected this gold statue and everyone, everyone was supposed to worship it. And these men of faith said no to that. And here's their words to the king. They said, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's faith. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And it's profound faith. I was thinking of the faith of Queen Esther, who also lived in exile during the Persian Empire. And the Jews were, were literally facing extermination. And she, as the queen, could possibly come to the king and, and change his mind, but it was against the law to do that, punishable by death. And so she had this decision to make. And by faith, she chooses to enter into the presence of, of the king and risk her life. She puts it this way, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. I was thinking of the faith of the uh, early apostles in Acts after you know, Jesus, the spirit had been poured out and Jesus returned to heaven. Uh, these, these guys who um, you know, were doing these miracles, preaching the gospel, and then they, they had to come before the Sanhedrin, the, the religious leaders of the day, Peter and John, and, and the, the Sanhedrin beat them and warned them not to say anything else. Stop talking about Jesus. And by faith, they reply this way. Judge for yourselves. You guys are men of God. He's saying, judge for yourselves whether there is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we can't help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I was thinking of the faith of the martyrs in the book of Revelation who are described this way. They Nike'd the world because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. And this morning, we want to acknowledge the faith of Christians around the world who are saying to God, I believe you, I trust you. I trust you, Lord. Um, even if they disown me, I trust you. Even if they take my property, I trust you. Even if they imprison me, I trust you. Even if I lose my life, I, I trust you. And so with that, I, I want to um, welcome up a man of faith, um, Pastor Adrian DeVizer, who as mentioned is here with his wife, Ophelia. And they are um, just a wonderful, wonderful couple. They have their chaperone, Ann Storm, with them today, it looks like. 
Just kidding. Um, so um, we, the way we met Adrian, uh, many of you have, have met Adrian and have heard him teach um, in the fall here. But uh, back in 2004, there was the Boxing Day tsunami uh, that hit uh, a lot of Asia and, and the, the eastern side of Sri Lanka got totally just destroyed by that. And so there was a team from Mariners that went uh, to just find out what was going on. And, and they met um, this pastor, Adrian, who had, who had just written on pieces of paper out like and put it on like signposts like, if you need help, call. And he gave them his cell number. Okay, so imagine just disaster, and there's just signs. If you need help, call, and his cell number. And, uh, and the, the team that went over was so inspired by that, they started a relationship with him that then we got involved in through relational connections. And so we've been connected um, for over 10 years now. Um, they grew up in Sri Lanka. Adrian is a pastor, uh, 40 years of ministry now. They're celebrating. They're actually here for a little extended time and sort of celebrating 40 years of ministry. But he's a pastor, church planter, um, he's part of something called Asian Access, where they're planting churches not just in Sri Lanka, but throughout Asia. Um, and just a, uh, just a wonderful couple, wonderful man. And uh, Carrie and I had a chance to go to Sri Lanka. Gosh, almost. It's been too long. I've, I'm supposed to go back every year, and so far it hasn't happened. But I'm going to get there um, about 10 years ago. So he's great. I'll stop talking. I'm going to invite up Adrian. Why don't you welcome him? Um, thank you again for being here. So um, I'll let you kind of say any introductory comments you want. And then after that, so I've got three questions for him that we kind of talked about beforehand. We were totally off script first service. I'm sure we'll be off script this service, um, which is great. Um, but whatever opening things you want to say. And then my first question is, is how has persecution been a, a reality in the last year in Sri Lanka? Get, in, get us inside of practically speaking what's actually taken place, what events, what's been the impact? Uh, before I respond to that question, uh, Dave told me that I can speak for a couple of hours now <laughs> because these are the second service and you all are more patient, more godly, uh, uh, people with the fruit of the spirit. So I'm going to take advantage of that. That's fair. Again, coming from living in a part of the world where constantly you feel the pressure, persecuted, there is hostility, and then come back to a country where there is so much freedom, and then recognize that you pray for our part of the world, that's very encouraging for us. And the, the, the passage of scripture that Pastor Dave read, when one part suffers, the other part also suffers. So in that sense for me, just to be here and to recognize that you pray, that you care, that you care for us is very, very encouraging. Now, let me give you a picture of what happens in Sri Lanka and then other parts of Asia and in the Middle East where there is an immense, intense persecution. See, persecution begins with the concept of nationalism. Nationalism says, if you are a Sri Lankan, you must be Buddhist. And you must speak the language. And nationalism says, if you are not a Buddhist, then you are a traitor to the nation. That's what happens in most parts of the world. If you are Indian, you must be Hindu. If you are Sri Lankan, you must be Buddhist. If you are from Indonesia, you must be Muslim. <clears throat> 
nationalism is very very popular and it is gripping the minds of our people but nationalism is also very demonic in its form because it takes in a few and exclude the others and exclude them to the extent of killing and separating them i'm sure you are familiar with what happened on easter sunday we want we were in church worshiping god and the muslim extremes who hate the name of jesus walked into three of our churches you know people were worshiping nobody knew what was happening you know i was worshiping in our church and they walked to the very center of the church when everybody was look, looking at heaven and worshiping and they exploded themselves at the same time in some places it was 3 400 people killed immediately and many people lost their arms lost their eyes some lost their hearing and people are suffering as a church we are now working with the government of sri lanka we are working with the government of sri lanka to establish a rehab center for people who survived the bomb blast because the people who survived the bomb blast actually in my opinion is suffering much more they have lost their limbs in some homes the husband didn't come to church he was at home for some reason the wife and the children came and they never went back home and there are situations where the wife just went to the restroom by the time she came the husband and children are all gone you could just imagine the suffering that our people go through persecution in our part of the world is not only physical suffering you know there is pressure that is brought upon us by the governments like our government will never give us a permit to build a church building we cannot build churches by law and even if you give me a contribution my government will take 3% of that as a taxation the buddhist temples are not taxed <coughs> but the churches are no visas are allowed for missionaries to come to our part of the world so there is the government indirect persecution but that's terrible we have to live under that context and minister to our people then there is the social isolation when you become a christian some families say that's the end of your relationship you need to now move out of the family my daughter is getting married in march and the parents of the boy came from a buddhist family and they were ostracized they were cut off from the family in some places the shops will not sell anything to them unlike the us our country is small so they know who have become a christian and the shop will say well we don't sell things to you guys taxis sometimes can say no in fact this happened with one of our churches where the church was burned down and the people were warned not only be burned down the church we will teach you a lesson so that you cannot live in this village anymore and the taxis said we will never pick you up again not even to the hospital and the worst is in some places even the burial rites 
are denied. They will surround the burial grounds and say, you are a Christian, you cannot bury your dead in this cemetery. And you can imagine the pressure. But at the same time, I must tell you this. You know, Paul, when he talks about grace, he said, my grace is sufficient. It's an amazing, you know, it's something that you will begin to experience when you live under that kind of hostility and that kind of persecution. Because at that moment, the grace of God comes upon us, comes upon a believer, and you are able to stand, withstand the pressure that is brought upon you. The grace of God comes upon the persecuted church. When the grace of God comes upon people like Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego, it is not just that they are brave enough to say that. It is the grace of God that comes upon a person in a context of suffering and persecution and they are able to respond because of the grace. And grace not only enables you to make proclamation, grace enables you to enjoy the reality that God is with you. I have been in situations where it has been so frightening. They attack a church, I'm in the middle of it. Not that I'm a brave person. You know, I want to run away. But at that moment, the grace of God comes upon you. And then, not only the grace of God to stand there, but also the peace and joy to be able to suffer with Christ. Scriptures tell us, he has called us not only to believe, but to suffer also. You know, I think that's something that really bothers me with prosperity theology. Because the prosperity theology offers you no problem. You are now a Christian. Everything is going to be a bed of roses and you'll go to heaven. And I think that is completely wrong. It's not biblical. We are called, but there is suffering. But God enables us to encounter the suffering joyfully and not even realize that you are paying a price. <laughs> Gates of hell will not prevail. You remember that words? Jesus said, I build my church. Jesus built the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail and the gates of hell will never prevail. In fact, I would, all, I would explain persecution in this manner. If you take a tennis ball, and the harder you hit, the higher it rises. That's exactly what happens with persecution. The harder our governments, our communities beat us up, the higher the church rises. Amen. So good. Um, you know, I, wanna, I want them to see some of the images. Yes. You want to just talk us through the images yes. as, as, I, as I go? This is one of the churches. You can see even the roof was blown apart for the power of the explosion. You can see the destruction. You know, people were worshipping in this place. You could just imagine the pain and the suffering that they went through. But these, fellow, these terrorists, they believed by killing Christians, they were accumulating heavenly places for doing destroying the church of God. This is what happened soon after the explosion. The government 
forces were all over trying to protect but nobody knew what was happening for a couple of days we were just lost in some places you know in a one single home one person was alive maybe the husband didn't come to church and he had to bury his wife and three children you could just imagine the pain the agony and that is why we find that as a church we want to respond to these people part of our work right now is caring for those who are traumatized and who have suffering and we feel it's a honor and a privilege that god has given us to care for them this particular church these children were returning from their son children's church into the church and this guy saw these children moved towards the children and exploded himself immediately 33 children was killed we realize <clears throat> persecution is also a spiritual battle the god of this world want to destroy the church and we do not battle persecution physically but we battle persecution spiritually all of the planning for the bombing in kalambo and outskirts was done in a place called batiklo which is the east of sri lanka my immediate response i'm going to batiklo i'm going to the east i gathered all the pastors and the churches together you know what when the church is under attack the church better come together and stand together and so we brought everyone together and we spent a day of fasting and prayer binding the powers of darkness demonic powers want to destroy the church but god wants to build the church and we build the church not by fighting the extremists but on our knees and that's exactly what we did immediately after the bombing Um, why don't you speak to um, whatever you want to speak to, but particularly, I love that image of the tennis ball and um, seeing the way that God is working through the church through this. Um, I, I'm going to just open the floor to you to, I guess the question would be, wh- what else, how are you seeing God at work? Anything specific you want to share? And, and particularly as you, God has placed on your heart this passion for renewal and revival in your country, what you might want to speak into that too but what what what's your sense of what god is up to what are you seeing uh, there is one more picture uh, that you know that you can bring in whenever you want but yeah just speak to that however you would want to speak to that we believe god is sovereign and because god is sovereign there is nothing that happens that he is not aware of when the church is being persecuted jesus is also being persecuted You remember the time when Saul was attacking the church and on the streets of Damascus in Acts chapter 9 Jesus meets Paul and he said why are you persecuting me He was persecuting the church and the Christians but every time the church is being persecuted Christ feels the pain and he becomes part of us I don't want to mean very spiritual or anything of that nature but I can tell you this in the midst of persecution you've experienced the very presence of God the presence of God comes and floods the place part of our theology says 
because God is sovereign, he is fulfilling his purposes and sometimes we have no clue as to what on earth he's doing on this earth. Ophelia and I, together with our children, we lived through a civil war that was in our country for 30 odd years. And it was a brutal civil war. Hundreds and, not hundreds, hundred and over 100,000 people died in that civil war. And some of us were targeted. The Christians were targeted even at that time. So when I send my son and daughter to school, you know, I will walk with them to the place the vehicles will come and pick them up. And I always lay my hands and pray for them and say, Lord, watch over them. Because you know what? The safest place to live is to be at the center of God's will. It was David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa who said that, I live in the midst of so much difficulties, but I know this one reality. When I walk in the center of God's will, I am well protected. But in the midst of persecution, if I can take that slide now, this is in the country of Iran. Now, when you, when you listen to CNN and Fox News and all of that, you hear all things about Iran, you know, nuclear weapons, anti-America and all of that. And some of that may be true. But I want to tell you something much different today. In the entire world, the fastest growing church is in Iran today. In the midst of persecution, the Christians are given a hard time. But the church is growing in an amazing rate. You can see the people who are ready for baptism. I have been, spent a fair amount of time in Egypt. I have seen the church under persecution in the Middle East. But God is doing some amazing work among them. In most of the Islamic countries, God is ministering to people through dreams and signs and wonders. I hope I didn't <laughs> upset your theological positions. Because in some churches, when I go, when you talk of, you know, signs and wonders, and oh, that doesn't fit into a theological category. It seems to me as if some churches have come to the conclusion that God needs permission from the church before he can do something. <laughs> but to me, the biblical faith says God can do whatever he wants because he's God. Islamic faith was based on dreams and visions. And it is amazing, God is using the very form in which it was established to reveal himself. And people are coming to Christ. They go to sleep as an Islamic believer, but they wake up as Christians. <laughs> I can tell you stories of what I have seen in the midst of persecution. One of our churches, you know, was burned down. And this is what, he's not even a pastor of the church. He was just responsible for gathering few people and he was worshipping. And that became a church. And I told him, well, you started it. You're the pastor of the church now. And his objection, I haven't gone to theological school. I said, no worries. Holy Spirit will teach you and we will teach you. They came and they told him, 
We are going to destroy the church and you're the one who is going to break the first, first, uh, you're going to strike and destroy the church. And he said, I will never do that. And then he knelt. And he said, kill me if you want to, but I will not dishonor the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for me. Ordinary man. Just an ordinary person. I believe God is doing an amazing work of grace around the world. And God is building his church, not the typical way that human beings thought about how the church will grow. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of persecution, the church of God is growing. Right now, in China, the government has turned against all Christians all over again. As never before, the persecution on the Chinese Christians is at the highest at all times. But at the same time, my friends in the underground churches says, don't feel sorry for us, but pray for us. Because in the midst of the persecution, the church is booming. The church is booming. So good. I think that's a great transition to praying for them. Um, can we give Adrian a, a hand for that? Is, is there anything else you wanted to say? Yeah. Um, so what we want to do is um, just spend some time praying. And uh, we're going to do this a little differently than normal. We're just going to open up, just have an open time of prayer. Any of you want to pray from your seat? That would be great. I want to give us a couple things that might shape our praying. I think some of the things that Adrian just said. But here's a couple things that we thought of that we can pray for, for our brothers and sisters. Um, of course, physical protection and provision um, is a huge need in some places. Um, spiritual protection from discouragement and doubt. Boldness and witness. Uh, and of course, as Adrian just spoke, that we'd see God's mighty hand working wonders and bringing many to faith. So what we want to do is just create some space. Um, there's, there's an amazing passage, um, I think it's Philippians, where Paul's in prison, and he says, I think that through your prayers and the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, this will um, work out for my release. And he has this faith that people praying hundreds of miles away, that their prayers can impact his situation in his moment there. And so we get this opportunity to here in Orange County pray for people, you know, thousands of miles away trusting that God hears our prayers and responds. And so we want to pray uh, with that perspective. So we're going to just create some open space, um, and some of you can pray. Uh, then I'll pray, and then I asked Adrian to, to close by praying for us, meaning the church here in Orange County. So let me, I'll open this time, uh, and if there's silence, that's fine, and we can pray silently. And uh, if some of you want to speak and speak out and pray into that, that would be great. All right, so let's, let's, let's take some time to pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, we, we come as your children who have been uh, born of you, of your spirit, to intercede on behalf of other brothers and sisters who have also been born of your spirit around the world, Lord. So we pray in this time that uh, your spirit would move in us uh, to pray for them and that you would hear these prayers and that you would move uh, in response to these prayers in beautiful ways in their lives. So we take this time now just to lift them up to you.